Well, good morning. My name is Stephen Saul, and I serve our rector, Paul Donison, here at Christ Church as the executive director of ministry development. Today, we celebrate Trinity Sunday, and this day in the church is the Sunday that follows the powerful day of Pentecost, and all together, we celebrate on this day the Blessed Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, embracing God in all three persons. I was thinking about this call for the Great Commission, and I thought this is a tough subject because it is a commission, a call from God. And so I began to think about what I might title this sermon. And the first thing that came to mind was, why me, Lord? (laughs) One of the greatest challenges we may experience personally is a challenge of following through. We may find many times that we are either true to our word or we live a life of good intentions that don't really mean a lot. Following through is directly tied to the idea that we mean what we say and we are true to our word that counts. As a child, I was taught to tell the truth, to say my prayers, do good things for others, keep promises, work hard, set goals, and charter a plan for getting those goals to be accomplished. However, there are instances where we may become exhausted distracted, sidetracked. We may find ourselves lazy or in a place of denial. And to quote Scarlett O'Hara, I'll think about it tomorrow. Some of us postpone difficult tasks because we don't know where to begin. But that does not change the responsibilities and expectations that each of us has. It seems that we are not strangers to deadlines. In fact, this week at Christ Church, teams were preparing for the Guatemala mission, a a trip that will take them to to build and to support and minister in mission. The other team that uh, comes to mind is the Vacation Bible School team that begins tomorrow. There are those things that require our immediate attention in our life and even in ministry. And I get it. The pressure of commitments of the here and now weigh heavily on our homes, our families, and our daily schedules. Most of us here realize that the greatest resource that we spend wisely or unwisely is the time that is given to us each day. We seem to support in ways and conform to a society that lives from project plan to project plan or deadline to deadline. But as Christians, we must consider the eternal investment, kingdom work, and the call we have to share the good news of Jesus Christ to those who do not yet know him. This morning, I'd like to propose that Jesus is speaking to us in and through the gospel lesson of Matthew 28 about his greatest assignment the greatest assignment, and this assignment has been entrusted to us, the church, the body of Christ. As I began to prepare for today's sermon, I thought about the familiarity many of us have with the text, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, said Jesus. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded. 
when I read the scripture, I began to think about the hurdles that are implied there. The, the hurdles that believers would have to deal with girl, words like go and make. You know, our honest response to this may be, I don't have time for this. Or I'm not comfortable talking about this. That's what evangelists do. I don't really believe that this is meant, this call to go and make disciples is for me. But if that is the case, how in the world will we make disciples of all nations? In Acts chapter 1, where we begin to read about the birth of the church, and in his farewell, Jesus literally, he gives us a map. He maps out the Great Commission vision, how it is to be rolled out and lived out. Jesus says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what does that have to do with us? Why is it imperative that the witness of faith telling the story of the hope that we have be proclaimed in the world today? Bottom line is this, Jesus has called us to do it. And we know that if he's called us to it, he'll see us through it. If you are like me, hearing about the places like Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, these are all interesting places found in the Holy Lands. But we can easily confuse the charge to go and make disciples by saying, I don't live there. When we see, however, the call for Jesus' disciples to take the gospel to all nations, there is little confusion that he means you and me as well. So from Plano, we might say, you will be my witnesses in Plano, McKinney, Prosper, Salina, North Texas, and to the rest of the great state of Texas, and then to the ends of the earth. We may take the approach that the Great Commission is also an optional assignment, that it is a choice, like a college elective, that would be helpful, but not essential. Let me share that for the Lord, the Great Commission is not an elective. In fact, we are drafted and grafted into the body of Christ with that realization we are no longer to be captives to the world and the occupations that that hold us captive, but we are his and the sheep of his pasture. In Psalm 100, verse three, we read, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The emphasis is over and over time and again, his, that is the Lord, Therefore, we are not our own. We are purchased with a price, a price too great to ever repay. The ultimate sacrifice made by a Savior who calls us to number our days aright, that by that time we will have truth, we will know his word, and then we will gain a heart of wisdom. In his encouragement to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen us, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. 
Paul continues, and you became my imitators. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. As a church, we are called to be imitators of Christ, no longer imitators of the world and the consuming power and the persuasions that we find in the world. The Greek for imitators means that God to be a God-approved example. Today, you and I will spend time bearing witness. We will, each of us will bear witness. But it will be either for the Lord or we will be a reflection of what is common, modeling what is usual and customary in our world today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. As a young boy, I used to watch the TV series, Mission Impossible. And I'm not talking about Tom Cruise movies, I'm talking about the series, Mission Impossible. And I'm gonna jab at uh, Father Paul for just a minute. A few weeks ago, he was preaching and he said, the 60s, well, I wasn't there then. Well, I just want to tell you, I was there then. And there was a series called Mission Impossible. Let me tell you, this, this weekly series focused on an elite covert operation unit whose assignment was to carry out highly sensitive missions subject to official denial in the event of failure, death, or capture. It was always exciting to hear the words of the government officials saying, if you or any member of your impossible mission force are caught or killed, the secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. And then came my favorite line, this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. And it always did. The great challenge for the secret agent was to accomplish what seemed impossible. And yet each week the agents accepted the challenge and achieved the unbelievable. The enemy was defeated and good overcame evil. It seems that the Christian walk is similar to this series, but it is no longer a mission impossible. It is the great, greatest and most holy assignment, sharing the good news and telling others about the hope that we have for eternal life. You know, as Christians, we have amazing stories of martyrs that have risked it all for the faith. In parts of the world today, this very day, men and women are being persecuted for their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They're the apostles who suffered greatly and experienced death because of faith. For many, it may seem that completely being sold out and completely committed, being committed to the tenets of our faith is a commission reserved for the elite, an elite covert operator. But here's what the Apostle Paul says. I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Sadly, we may be perceived, you and I, as secret agents for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
maybe even hesitant to be witnesses of the gospel, slow or even unwilling to share the faith, and in many cases, resistant to give that away which has been given to us. During my lifetime in ministry, leading small groups, discipling brothers, or even in conversations with members of the church, it is interesting that so many of us, and I say us, are resistant to tell someone about our faith, beginning a conversation about a journey and what it would be like for that person to journey with the Lord. If we resist sharing the hope that we have, then I begin to think that we may need greater hope. The power and the hope found in Christ alone should not be hidden. It should never be a secret covert operation and it should never be left for someone else to do. I don't know if we'll get to it today because we always have a little extra music, but one of the songs selected for communion really touches the heart and it's on page 12. I just wanna call your attention to it. The title of the song is the one at the bottom of the page, Take My Life and Let It Be. It's very easy to see that in this, there is a giving up, a, a transfer, an imitation that happens. Take my life, take my moments, take my hands, take my feet, all at the beginning of each of those stanzas. Take then my voice, take my lips, take my silver and my gold, take my intellect. And here comes the hard part after the chorus. Take my will, oh, take my heart, take my love, and finally take myself. One of the greatest questions we could ever be asked as followers of Jesus, the greatest question I believe is a question that would be much like this. What is so different about you? What is so different about you? You know, something is so right and I just wanna know what it is. I want some of that. We are not called to be secret agents for Jesus Christ, but as the scripture tells us in 1 Peter, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone, to the nations who ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Coming to us from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, we live in a politically driven society that promotes much of the behavior that silences the call not to share our faith and, and refrain from defending our faith. Today's gospel lesson is not a suggestion, but it is a directive given to us by the Lord. It also seems right that we would look closely to the end of the gospel lesson in Matthew today where we read last instructions from Jesus. Jesus, as he speaks to his followers, his disciples on the mountain, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, here and now, has been given to me. And the question I have is, who says? Well, we say it. We understand that he is the Lord, but by what authority? Frederick Bruner, in the church book commentary writes about all authority, the authority of Christ. And he says, as we have noticed, this is Matthew's favorite noun 
for describing Jesus, and it almost has the weight of our English word deity. It means executive power, and when Jesus on the mountain claims all executive power, not only in heaven, but on earth, he means he is the CEO, the chief executive officer of the universe, in complete control of our world. I think about the little children this week that will be in vacation Bible school and may we never forget the words to the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he shall reign forever and ever. In his his letter to uh, the church in Ephesus, Paul writes in chapter one, beginning in the 22nd verse, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the, the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Our Lord Jesus Christ has the authority and as the head of the church, the body of Christ, those whose faith and who love and serve the Lord, we are called to surrender to the authority shared with us in Matthew 28. After we hear about his authority and his position as our CEO, we find there to go. He tells us to go. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. By this we are to conclude that there is no one, not one, that should not be reached for the gospel. My youngest son is entering, interning at a local technology company this summer here in Plano and began his work this past Monday. When he arrived, he did the normal paperwork, read company policies and procedures, and was introduced to a number of team members. One gentleman, a very friendly man, began a conversation with my son Brennan and said, so, do you know the Lord? Brennan says that it was an interesting first minute. And he said, I I sure do. I thought that was powerful that that individual would begin there. But I wonder if there are believers who are waiting years in our office settings and in our opportunities, those places where God brings people on our path, that we put off having a conversation where we begin to talk about faith. This fella didn't wait five minutes, and that didn't allow any time for a relationship to be built. But I'm wondering if our urgency for the gospel and discipleship not, might not be better suited for a posture that minimizes the tyranny of the urgent covered with a routine that is filled with a reluctancy to share the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we're called to make disciples to begin to share the hope that we have, to invest, spend time with someone else. This is very hard work. It's hard work for the church because it requires the follower of Jesus to actually die to those things which prevent 
the development of new disciples that will walk a journey or a season where we're called as disciples to be disciples and to make disciples to a season to pour into someone else who will then in turn walk with another person and share the hope of Christ. As a coach for pastors during the last two years, I have found two key areas in the church today that make it difficult to grow the kingdom and and make disciples. And I wanna say there's many more than two, but I just wanna share two today. The first is, as we think about the Great Commission, the first is an invitation. Inviting those who are not currently attending church to visit with us. Actually meeting at church or picking a friend up and inviting the person or the family to sit with us on Sunday morning. In so many ways, discipleship is an investment that calls each of us who are busy to die to ourselves and invest in someone else, making them the priority for everlasting life. About 5% of the attendees to church every year are visitors. I remember when Debbie and I were visiting Christ Church, Debbie's my wife, and without fail, we were greeted and welcomed so wonderfully by many of you. I have to admit, I was wearing a collar at each of my visits, but the welcome we received was so warm and it was genuine. Even if we did not extend the invitation to a visitor, we may play an initial discipleship role, each of us in this room, by welcoming well. Statistics say that it takes 46% of people at least four visits to make a decision on their church home. Our role as a church family may be to provide a warm welcome or walk with a family out to the welcome desk located in the narthex. There certainly is truth in the saying that we are to make a friend, be a friend, and bring a friend to Christ. Let us not miss opportunities to build a relationship first, to get to know someone that the Lord, and this is so important, has placed in your path. If we are waiting on someone else to go and make disciples, we are missing the intended commissioning of Jesus for you and for me. The second area of challenge for churches seeking to make disciples is the investment of time and a commitment that is required to give of ourselves to the life of another brother or sister and equip them to begin a great commission journey of faith. It is one thing to say to a follower, do this, writing a prescription of what a healthy life in Christ looks like. If it were that easy, following Christ would not require persistence and faith. Discipleship, as Doug Fields writes, describes the building up or strengthening of believers in their quest to be like Christ. Discipleship is a lifelong process that God uses to bring us to maturity in Christ. And then it develops men and women and youth who are learners and who are teachable, hungry for truth and transformation. And then ultimately, as we live as disciples into the cycle, we share our faith and others then share their faith. And the channel of sharing to the nations becomes complete. We need to pour our life into someone who is ultimately searching for the Lord. 
Discipleship as part of the Great Commission is a call to responsibility, really giving back to the Lord and following the Lord so that his, that is Christ's authority and call of faith of every nation may be brought to bear in the world. On this Trinity Sunday, we are reminded of the God who created all things, the Savior who came to save a lost and dying people. He was crucified, died, and on the third day, our Lord rose from the dead. We celebrate the knowledge that our God has sent now his Holy Spirit to dwell among us. And we're grateful that the power of the Spirit meets us in prayer and worship in the reading and meditation on the Bible and in this great commission ministry. Brothers and sisters, let us be intentional to honor the Lord in his call to reach Richardson, to reach Plano, McKinney, North Texas, and every nation for the great commission of Jesus that it may be fulfilled. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.